0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Jan Pritzker. Jan is the author of the book, Inventing Bitcoin. So if you're like me or many of us have gone through the experience of trying to explain Bitcoin to quote unquote normies. And from my experience, and I'm sure many of you share this, is that we often find that it doesn't really land. It's a difficult thing to explain. And so Jan had similar experiences and was then motivated to write this book for those reasons. So Inventing Bitcoin is a very accessible explainer about what Bitcoin is, why it's important, and a little bit about how it works. It's not too technical, so uh, it's very easy to understand. I found even myself kind of being further down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, still was able to glean some insights from it, but it was definitely written for a more mainstream, a more kind of noob Bitcoin audience. So if there's those people in your life who... You really want them to begin to understand Bitcoin, but the conversations you've had with them have been uh, challenging, then gifting them, inventing Bitcoin might be a good way to uh, plant the seed. Anyways, this is the further discussion portion of my interview with Jan. So we take about an hour and a half, just have a very general, open, thoroughly enjoyable conversation. Uh, Jan's been in the space for a long time, so it's great to hear his stories and his experiences. And then, of course, the rapid fire portion is also available now. Where I ask Jan the standard set of rapid-fire questions and then some word associations at the end. Anyways, that's it. Enjoy the show. Let's do it! Let's get started because we don't have uh, a tremendous amount of time. But uh, again, th- thanks for joining me. And I, I actually, so I downloaded Inventing, or sorry, I bought Inventing Bitcoin. I, I got the Kindle. <laughs> it's, all,
1: it's okay if you download it. No, it <laughs> but I,
0: I mean, I downloaded it to Kindle. I bought it and downloaded yeah, it to yeah, my yeah. Kindle. I guess. You, I guess you. Um, a few weeks ago, and got halfway through it, and then got busy with other stuff and I just finished it tonight, so it's it's fresh oh, nice. it's fresh fresh in my mind um, first of all, congratulations on that because I think you did you. a really good job in taking you know what we all kind of it's a big complex topic, and we all wrestle with the how to explain it to our uncle, mom, cousin, whomever when we're given mm-hmm. the opportunity to do so and we I feel like we all probably feel like we always come up short, just because it's hard. Yeah. It's one of those things you either see or you don't see. There's not real. There's not a lot of in between, and so it
1: is tough. Yeah,
0: having taken a topic like that and really putting it in a format that I think, you know, will be digestible at least to a bigger audience than than mm-hmm. the strictly technical you know ways that have uh, come at this thing before. I think was very well done and also kind of reverse engineering it and say, well, this is like the, the kind of money we want. How do we get there? And then using the, the the various means in which you did to, you know, explain each part of it in very, very accessible terms. So congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate
1: that. that. It's, thank you. It's, it is it is a tough job and I still feel like I'm working on my elevator pitch. And that's why, I mean, the the book is short, but it's still not as short as it needs to be, I think, for most people to really get into it. You need to give them like that one minute. Here's why it matters and, and here's how it works. Thing and it's tough with Bitcoin, there's just so many angles to it, right?
0: It's so hard, man. What I, I mean, and because you know, you it's hard just to get the basic level, but we both know how deep the rabbit hole goes, and you know, so we <laughs> how far do you get try to get somebody on that elevator pitch? You know, what, what's your current elevator pitch?
1: Well, I basically start off with saying that it's a new type of money, and I think that's a good um a segue because it helps people understand ask some questions like why is it different from the money that i know in my day-to-day money my fiat money right yeah uh, because i think most people don't even understand uh, anything about how money works uh, i certainly didn't really think about money before i got into bitcoin so i think starting off with that it's a new type of money and then once you say that and then it's like well why is it different well it's digital just like your dollars but nobody's in charge of them right nobody can issue more of them nobody can control how you spend them, so it's a t- it's a freedom money. That's my pitch right now. It's a freedom money. It's a money that you can spend freely, that you can take with you if you're leaving your country, uh, if your country's in trouble. Especially that's kind of my angle um, for it because I do come from uh, the former Soviet Union. So I've you know I've sort of lived through a country that was going through through a phase that where Bitcoin could have really helped. Um, so you know I wish Bitcoin existed 25 years ago, you know 35 years ago, 40 years ago. It could have prevented a lot of um, uh, bad stuff but it exists today right so our job is to educate people on why uh, it might be important for them in the future
0: yeah it's funny i i use the term freedom money as well because uh, i just think it's so apt when when describing bitcoin but i think in general you know w- you know we learn best when we're incentivized to do so right and currently the two incentives <laughs> are either you know making money on speculation or you're incentivized because you need it to get money out of a country, take money with you, as you said, that sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. I, I would imagine, although I don't have much firsthand information on this, that in places like Venezuela, Argentina, Turkey, and other you know other places that have experienced currency crises or things of that nature, that that incentive is probably enough, at least, to get more and more people learning and asking questions and trying to figure out how to use this thing, right?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think we're. I think we've seen some of that. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the article by Matt Alborg from last year that was about how uh, Bitcoin is working as Satoshi intended, and he looked at local Bitcoins uh, analysis and seeing how how it's risen in countries that actually have had these problems. Right. And and interestingly enough, we see this like we see Venezuela going through this crisis, and then you see every country surrounding Venezuela, their volumes going up. Right. They're looking at Venezuela and saying oh, I see, that's what happens. Like, that could happen here. We better get our stuff, you know, our, our act together and start buying some Bitcoin.
0: Right. And I wonder what the effect of that will be. I mean, playing this thing out, you know, several decades perhaps. But if, if it is the case that aside from the speculators in the Western world, let's say the mainstream population, will, you know, the, the emerging markets, the, the, the countries that are having these issues now, and slowly move into something like Bitcoin. What will the dynamic be if in 20 years time, you know, they've, you know, slowly but surely been moving in and the more developed markets when they have their, you know, their crises, their currency crises will be, you know, at a, at a disadvantage as a result of having been kind of late to the party.
1: Yeah, I think that that could happen. Um, I still think that, I mean, realistically speaking, just with the amount of education and wealth that's in the more developed nations, they're the ones really buying up the majority of the Bitcoin right now. Right. So whereas it may not be well distributed, it's probably like being held by a small number of people with relatively, uh, you know, of of good means with with money to spare. Um, That's kind of where who the Bitcoin holders are right now. Uh, But that's not to say that that's not going to change in the future as some of these people exit the markets to kind of capitalize on their gains. Like you said, a lot of people in the, you know, in America or in Western countries, they're just speculating. They're looking to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, that's, that's how the thing gets bootstrapped, right? By us speculating, we're giving it a certain value that then these other more struggling nations are able to bootstrap off of, right? And get people over there some kind of uh, uh, jumping board to get out of their bad situation. So I actually, uh, I think it's a nice balancing uh, situation where you know the, the richer countries are helping the poorer countries kind of like inadvertently by just being selfish and trying to speculate on this uh, right. asset. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I've never had an issue with speculation either, not, you know, because for for one, sure, if you want to speculate on something and try to make money, fine. But two, you know, the act of speculating is kind of like you're, you're putting skin in the game to prove a certain narrative, right? And Bitcoin has so many fascinating and intertwined narratives associated with it. And, you know, from the very beginning, when people started exchanging Bitcoin for cents and then dollars and then tens of dollars and so on, they're basically, Man, says. Right, they're basically <laughs> saying, I think this thing is X and X has a value of Y, you know, and, and that right. process keeps going back and forth over time to where we are now, where we say, I think Bitcoin is sound money, you know, programmable money and all the other things that, that we think it may become in the future. And I think that has a future value of whatever. And I'm willing to speculate on that now, therefore, the existing price.
1: Yeah, and I think that's – I think Trace Mayer uh, made this um, pretty apt statement that the speculation is that first network, effect it creates all this influx of capital into the system, which then funds development and development of the ecosystem and the build-out of the infrastructure that we need to actually make it into what it needs to be for worldwide adoption. Um, Because, you know, I I think we can all agree that we're still very early in this sort of – it's a, it's a global shift, right? It's a shift in how we think about money, it's a shift in culture, it's a technological shift. And there's so much that needs to happen that without the speculation, it just would be, there would be no money to fund that uh, revolution. And so the speculation is is the funding for the revolution and it just, it's just like, a, it's a flywheel, right? The more money we add into the system, the, the faster the system spins and it just starts to uh, to gain all this traction. It's, it's really awesome to see that happening in real time.
0: Yeah, and I guess that is partially that's, you know, that that's partially why Bitcoin has grown in the way that it's grown, right? It kind of accumulates all this momentum and activity and speculation and, you know, and development. And then it kind of has this blow off top and, and then mm-hmm. it comes down <laughs> and then it can, c- continues its onward march. But, you yeah. know, you mentioned that we're, we're early and, of course, ob- objectively, I, I think everybody would agree but when you're so involved in the space, because it, there's so much to know and learn and stay up to date on your your knowledge and information of this stuff, sometimes it's easy to forget how early it is. Because you look back on the last ten mm-hmm. years and you say, "Wow, look how much has happened!" Not only with the price, but everything in the space. And then you come up to now and you think, "There's so much going on." There's, you know, it's it, like I said, it's hard to keep keep up on it sometimes. But
1: yeah, you know, it, <laughs>
0: that it is. but then you got to remember, like, no, you're. You know this thing will be orders of magnitude more bigger and more complex and whatever in a ten year another ten years, for example, and right, right now will seem like ground floor you know we'll see rudimentary and you know
1: yeah I mean a lot of stuff right now it's you can get mired in details a lot, right like the working of Bitcoin, how the lightning network works like there's so much on there all the businesses that are being built the lending businesses the storage businesses you know the multi-sig stuff there's so much going on um but we also have to remember that uh, as well as with the internet early internet was like really really hard to use you know like email was really hard to use you had to like ssh into a, a server and like use a command line terminal it was horrible and so people who studied the internet in the early days were like mired in details but now we have really high-level abstractions to this stuff, right? So the everyday person, when they use email, they're not really thinking about how email works. They just log into their Gmail and they use it. So that's we're a long way from that, I think, in the Bitcoin world. We're a long way from really high levels of abstraction. And yeah. so it feels like just keeping up with everything that's going on is, is crazy. But we have to remember also that for the everyday person, none of this stuff's going to really matter as much, right? Like a lot right. of it's going to get abstracted away over time. Um, and we may not even understand what the correct abstractions are yet. It's just very... Early from that sense, because we're still under, trying to understand um, where where the technology meets the user experience. You know, there's there's still quite a gap there.
0: Yeah, that 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 actually made me think the other day. You know, as someone who has these conversations in this space and is hoping at least partially to appeal to people that are that are trying to learn more. You know, coming from the mainstream, I guess. You know, I was wondering, mm-hmm. as with the internet, like what will be kind of the limit that people accept for their knowledge of this new thing right so as you said most people have no idea how the internet works but they know that it's a method method of transferring information and you know media and things of that nature and that's basically it and they know it connects right. all the apps and their, all that kind of stuff and so I wonder kind of will sound will programmable sound money like be the narrative that really sticks and people get and beyond that I don't want to know Will it be something yeah, like that?
1: Yeah, it might be. You know, what's interesting is I was recently explaining uh, the internet to my daughter, who's five years old, um, so it's way too early for her to really under- understand. But the when I, you know, she, she was asking me, like, what is Siri, what is Alexa? I was kind of you know, giving her a quiz, like, do you think it's a person? Like, where do you think Siri lives? And she was not sure, and so I started t- saying, okay, look, all these movies and all this music and everything we get, that lives uh, on another different place called the internet, and that's a whole bunch of computers, Right. But the thing is where I came where the angle that I took was really talking about like, this is how we get our music and movies. Okay. If you asked me to explain the internet, say even 15 years ago, that would not be the angle I would take because that was not where we would get our music and and movies. Right. And so, um, the normalization of the internet in our lives, right? Like we, we get our music and we get all of our content from the internet now, right? That was not the case 15, 20 years ago. I think it's going to be the same thing with Bitcoin where, once it becomes our normal everyday money, the answer, the questions are not going to be like, what is Bitcoin? It's just going to be like, well, how does money work? And most people, again, today don't understand or need to understand that when they wave their Apple watch in front of an Apple pay terminal and like magic happens, nobody understands what happens back there. They just know that like their bank account at some point will get debited and everything will be fine. Right. Right. And so I think we're still a long way from that. But if you think about the kids that are being born into the Bitcoin generation, the kids that have been born in the last 10 years and that are being born now where Bitcoin is normal. um, And and maybe it will be, maybe it'll be longer than that. Maybe it'll be more than a generation. But um, those kids that grow up with Bitcoin will just think of it as money, right? They'll, they'll wave some magic thing, their phone or whatever implant they have in their head at that point. And that like, that will do the transaction, right? And a lot of it will be abstracted away. So I I don't know if those conversations will be the same, uh, even five or 10 or 20 years from now as they are today.
0: Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. But as, let me ask you this. As an educator, you know, you, you wrote the book on, on Bitcoin, as it were, Inventing Bitcoin, and I, we will break in the kind of, you know, motivations and stuff uh, in a sec. But as an educator, how do you determine the sweet spot? You know, we, we were just kind of discussing, like, the, the, how much do people really need to understand this to, you know, value it and to use it? And if, yeah. if the if the corollary corollary is the internet, then not very much. So, what is the role of education in this space? I mean, it's relevant for both of us. But what should we be striving for in terms of fostering adoption, if at all?
1: Yeah, I, I, no, I think that's a great question. Well, I think that there is a um, an element of education that's required for our generation, right? Um, because for us, Bitcoin is not normal. We we saw Bitcoin come into existence. And at first it was this very strange thing. We didn't understand what it was. And we sort of saw it morph and evolve over time and start to gain different understanding of it over time. And like you said, the narrative around Bitcoin has, has shifted as we understand it more and more, as we understand the economics of it and the technology. So I do think there's a room for education, but um, there's different levels of abstraction, right? So, for example, my book, um, you know, it's a two hour read. It's not super long, but it does get into a relatively technical um, realm with explaining the nuts and bolts of how bitcoin works the reason i go there is because i think for the current generation for us it's really important to understand what it is we're dealing with because we require extra convincing like people that are say 30 years old or 40 years old they require a little bit of like a push and the push should be why you know why does bitcoin need to exist and that's something i start with and i talk about um, what satoshi wrote what his motivations were um, some of the problems with our current banking system, our current financial system, uh, and our money, the, the very you know, base of it all, uh, why he was motivated to create Bitcoin. I think that's important. And then understanding why um, the claims that Bitcoin makes are credible. Like, why are there really 21 million Bitcoins and not anymore? Why can't anybody just go and change the rules? Um, why why do we say that it's seizure-proof or, um, or or seizure-resistant or censorship-resistant? Why do we say these things? And to answer that question, I think we need to look at the technology. So that's why uh, kind of that's what I focused on in this uh, book. And it's really targeted for people in this current sort of generation watching Bitcoin happen. I don't think this is the same book that I would have written if it was 25 years later, because at that point, like it's us sort of raising our kids on a new system and helping them understand it from a different perspective. And it's very different when you grow up in something rather than see it come into being in front of your eyes. I think it's a very different kind of educational process.
0: For sure. Were there, were there, as a result of that, were there certain elements or attributes of Bitcoin that you left out intentionally or didn't, you know, in finding that, that sweet spot, obviously you went a bit further because it's this generation, but are there things that you, you didn't want to touch because you just didn't. feel Yeah. I mean,
1: I barely touched on the cryptography of it. Frankly, the cryptography aspects are probably the most difficult to understand. And, um, also rust less, less relevant because they're not really even Bitcoin specific. A lot of the cryptography in Bitcoin isn't specific to Bitcoin. It's specific to like everything that happens on the internet uses some type of digital signature scheme at this point. So and like I said, normal day people like when you go to the website, you're not thinking about digital signatures or how SSL works. you know, you're not thinking about how any of that stuff works. It just it just happens. Um so I didn't touch on the cryptography too much. Um I just kind of said it's secured by cryptography. Here's the idea, it's secured by this sort of statistical process, but we didn't really talk about that in depth. I think that's, that's one thing that really most people don't need to know about. Yeah.
0: And how has the, how's the reception been? It was published when?
1: Uh, so I should probably know this. I don't know. I think about half, <laughs> it's been about six months. So I originally published it. Um, I published the Kindle version about a year ago. Uh, it was kind of my soft launch prototype and then I worked on it more and more as I got more feedback and almost entirely rewrote it. Uh, I'd say it rewrote at least uh, one third to one half of it. Um, And then uh, published it again. I think it was early June, I want to say, because it's around the time of Bitcoin 2019 when when it was actually launched. And so, yeah, the reception has been really good in in the Bitcoin community. I'm, I'm very... Uh, flattered and uh, thankful for everybody who's come around and retweeted my book. I have some real hardcore like people who just love to shill my book. Like I just see them on Twitter constantly shilling my book, which is really amazing. It means that it really struck a chord with them, right? It's not just it's not just a book for them. For them, it's like a way to get new people into Bitcoin, and that's ultimately what um, was for me the motivation was. I wanted to have something that I could give people and say, look, I know Bitcoin's a lot, but here's something that's relatively short commit just a few hours of your life to this um i promise at the very least you'll come away with an understanding of what bitcoin is and then at that point you can make a decision on whether it is something that you want to put your money into or not i i really stay away from like investment advice if you look at the book there's nothing about how to buy bitcoin how to even use a wallet i don't talk about the nuts and bolts that's like a do your own research thing and there will be ways to address that later um but the book is about like understand the concepts first if you understand the concepts. You're going to make an informed decision.
0: Yeah. It's funny you say that, man, because apart from needing to exercise, exorcise my own <laughs> obsession with Bitcoin in launching this podcast and just having these conversations and asking questions and all that kind of stuff. Um, the secondary reason was just like you, you know, having all these conversations with people and, you know, either you can, they're, they're, they're really kind of an uphill battle in terms of getting people to appreciate the innovation, the necessity, the the, the monetary components, all of that kind of stuff, or it devolves into kind of an argument where it's it's not based on logic. It's just kind of emotional rejection outright. <laughs> yeah. And you know, so part of the motivation for doing this was just like it, when those conversations happen. Now I can say I do a podcast. If you're interested in checking it out, here's a few episodes that you know you might be mm-hmm. you might you know you might be interested in or whatever. But I just. I do it partially so I can defer, <laughs> so I don't have to have as many of those conversations that I can just say, yeah, check out the podcast. I, yeah, I talk more I think, about it there. You
1: know, I think when you talk about Bitcoin with somebody, you get um, a real visceral reaction from their brain. And it's either like, this is really cool, I want to learn more, or it's like, oh my God, this is re-, like really going against everything I believe in. Like, this is you know dark, criminal money. Like, right. what are we going to do? And this is a lawless world we're going to live in when nobody can control money. Like, so you get that kind of um, emotional reaction. And so when you're having the conversations face to face, uh, even with my friends, I've had this, like some friends have gotten really antagonistic and not because, not because, um, they don't like Bitcoin. They're like, well, but what about this? But what about that? You know? And it's like, okay, well maybe just take some time to read about it on your own time and digest it because it, it, it's a different kind of learning experience when you digest by yourself versus when you're in a sort of heated debate, like fight or flight mode with somebody. Right. Yeah,
0: that's that's exactly my point. I've had those conversations, and you know, it, there's no point in having them because they they don't they're not open to to asking you a question whereby they want to receive an answer that will inform them further. It's just a you know, it's just a kind of like you said, it's kind of an antagonistic argument. Yeah, and, and, so, and it's the
1: funny thing is, I think it's I haven't found anybody who's deeply researched Bitcoin and come away like anti-Bitcoin, except for like right, there's right. A, a couple like Twitter personalities who have more or less made a career out of being no coiners. But That's like I feel like that's you know a marketing thing like they're they're really just that's how they make money That's cool, but it's really hard I think for a normal person to like really understand Bitcoin and then say no this is stupid like it's It's you know, there's there's a lot there
0: the one that gets me You know You've got your Peter Schiff's and Rubini's of the world and people like that where I just feel they haven't sat down and investigated it I just think they were against it from the beginning. They have like a, a basic understanding and right their biases and a lack of, full, of of a fuller understanding has led to them having that opinion. What well, really kind of, uh, you know, what I can't wrap my head around is the non scam um, altcoin people. You know, so the people <laughs> who who are trying to be altruistic, if 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 there is such a thing, and who seemingly are interested in the tech and interested enough to try to understand it. But, you know, go down a completely different path. Those ones I have a harder time relating to, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, I'm surrounded by a lot of these people. In Chicago, there's a very strong blockchain community, quote-unquote, rather than a Bitcoin community. Um, And my very, like, how I got into Bitcoin, um, well, was through a very uh, crooked path. Originally, um, I heard about Bitcoin in 2011. And I actually hadn't bought some at the top of the $30 bubble. <laughs> um that had, how'd you hear about it? Uh, I heard about it on a slash dot. Um actually I read about it on a slash dot, didn't understand what it was, didn't really have time to research it. Um and then I bought some because I figured what the hell, I don't know what this is, but you know, it's people seem to be talking about it. <laughs> and then like basically watched it go from $30 to $2 and uh, you know forgot about it and decided that it wasn't worth my time. Um, but, uh, it took me like a few cycles. So it was 2011, then 2013, I heard about it again, again, bought some at the top of the thousand dollar bubble. Um, again, watched it go down like 200, 300 <laughs> <laughs> and again, decided like, I don't know what this is. And I'm, I don't know why I keep buying it at the top of these bubbles. It seems horrible. I'm just punishing myself. So <laughs> it wasn't really until 2016 until I actually, uh, started understanding Bitcoin. Um, but Ethereum was really like on the scene at the time. Right. And and I started actually investigating Ethereum first because that was the thing that I'd heard about the most. Um, and coming from a technical sort of developer background, I looked at Ethereum and I looked at all the projects going on and it's like, it's very, you know, Silicon Valley startup world out there. And, uh, there's a lot of people trying to do stuff, right? I, I, I would argue that a lot of them are not scams outright, like in any sense that where, where they're trying to do something malicious they're like trying to build some kind of new technology. The thing for me was after I started learning about Bitcoin, I uh, delved more into the economics of it and starting to understand it more as a money, you start to see a problem with the idea that these other projects are like trying to do a, a system that is also simultaneously a monetary system because they're essentially competing on the monetary front with Bitcoin and there's no harder money than Bitcoin. And once you start to understand the uh, that the hardness of that money and the liquidity of that money starts to suck in all the value, then you have a problem because every other thing that's trying to create a token where that token will be effectively a type of money that doesn't really work in this world where you have open uh, competition between monies and then there's Bitcoin sucking all the air out of the room. So, um, yeah, I mean like in Chicago, like I said, there's this voice of blockchain conference actually helped fund it because I'm trying to like bring the Bitcoin, uh, aspect back into it. So I'm I'm doing a talk this, this year and it's going to be a keynote on the state of Bitcoin, right? And there's going to be a bunch of like corporate types in the room that are going to be uh, talking about supply chain uh, or health on the blockchain or something like that. And I'm going to say, look, guys, that's all well and good, but it's not really what's happening here. What's happening here is Bitcoin. And all this stuff just got like mixed in with Bitcoin somehow. And I'm not sure how it's even relevant. It's like corporate databases on one side and then like sound money on the other side. It's just like two different worlds. And they got conflated for no real reason other than the technology appears similar.
0: Yeah. Other than they both have a token to represent right. something. You and know? a lot
1: of them like in, in the corporate world, they they don't even have tokens really, because like a lot of these guys are trying to make like some shared database between five companies. There's no need for a token. It's just like a shared, you know, ledger. Um, cool, like whatever. If that works for you, fine. Um, that has nothing to do with Bitcoin, uh or or crypto really, uh per se. So I'm not really sure what why those people are at the same types of conferences as the Bitcoiners are. And so it's it's really strange for me. And um, But I do think there's a lot of people that are sort of in the altcoin world where they are trying to compete for money um, and that those people perhaps, are, in my opinion, have not really understood the economics of, of how money works. Uh, right. And they're still looking right. at it as technology. And if you look at it as technology, the, there's room for competition until the cows come home. Um, but if you really understand that what we're competing on is the hardness and the soundness of that money, then anything that's not as decentralized as Bitcoin is a failure uh, right out the gate. And that's pretty much everything. <laughs> so. Yeah.
0: And I think that's, that's what the quote unquote maximalists, you know, get them so, not wound up, because they're you know, the maximists are chill because they know they're on the right side of things. But you know, all these you know, other projects and coins whether it's faster transactions or cheaper transactions or all this kind of stuff the key piece that's missing out of that you know promotion for those things is yeah but what is it you're exchanging what mm-hmm. is it you're transacting because as long as bitcoin's around it's not money right, right. so if if great you can <laughs> you can send something of of no or Temporary let's say market value from one place to another really really fast for you know really inexpensively Great who's gonna want to do that though if that if it's if it's not money
1: Right exactly and the thing is that we already have really fast ways of sending um, Money like things around they're called you know PayPal and chase quick pay now they don't serve all of the world so there's some elements of like we need to serve the rest of the world here but like you said, if the thing we're sending has very temporary value and, that's, and it's fluctuating like crazy because all it is is some, you know, some low, low value thing that's being pumped and dumped all the time, that's not like a good basis for sound money. And then if the thing itself is under centralized control, then you're back to square one with that fiat, right? It's like you're you're just sending out a token that essentially somebody has full control over. Um, and so why aren't you using PayPal because that's, that works really well. <laughs> and at the end of the day, the only way you're going to get the fastest system you can possibly build is one that's running in one data center, uh, on the computers that you own a whole entirely, right? That's, that's going to be the fastest system. As soon as you start to distribute it, this is like something that anybody who's ever built a distributed system can tell you is that systems get slower as you move them further apart. It's kind of intuitive, right? So... If you're trying to make something fast, then then you're going to be pushed towards centralization. And if you're trying to push some uh, create something decentralized, then it's going to have to be slow. There's not really some kind of magic that makes the decentralized thing really really fast. Um, so all this stuff that we hear about um, about a hash graph or something with a hundred thousand transactions per second, it's like, well, well, how are you doing that exactly? Um, <laughs> because if it's going to be between the U.S. and China and you're actually going to have a permissionless system where anybody can join, that is not going to be the throughput. Sorry. <laughs> yeah.
0: And you mentioned something a lot, you know, relevant to this. I, and I'm not sure if I heard it in an interview you did or if it was in the book, but you said that proof of work is proof of stake. It's just staking something that's hard to obtain. Yep. Yeah, right? yeah for sure. And, and that's that's something that I think a lot of people that, that are proselytizing for these other, uh, you know, systems are are kind of missing somehow you know yeah, you are it, you are staking something you're just staking energy yes you
1: know? energy and, and the hardware right right, Importantly, right like the hardware itself is also pretty hard to produce and uh i mean that might change over time who knows like with advances in 3d printing technology and like uh you know if you imagine like every everybody's home has an asic manufacturing plant built in and they just press a button and they get a little asic out of it and it's like this big I mean, that could happen, but I think that in reality the there's a certain like economies of scale um, thing that happens with hardware manufacturing. Uh, same thing with energy, right? You're gonna have I actually see the the mi- mining of Bitcoin becoming pretty centralized in the sense that you're gonna have uh, centralized within each each uh, mining um, facility, right? So each mining facility, to be the most possibly efficient, would have to have its own ASIC manufacturing and its own power production. Like if you really take things out to the maximal, like where do they logically lead, right? You have to have the lowest cost of manufacturing, uh, the hardware and the lowest cost of energy. So that means we're probably gonna end up with some set of geo-distributed um, relatively large mining facilities that actually do all of the above together as technology improves. They're their own energy producers, they're their own uh, hardware manufacturers and And, you know, that's how they compete. And, like, the competition might end up that there's only, you know, uh, a few dozen of these or maybe even less. uh, Because, like, how many major data centers are there in the world? And if you look at, like, AWS and Azure and Google Cloud and how many other data centers are of that scale? So there's a certain economy of scale thing that happens there.
0: Yeah. Basically what you're saying is that mining is going to become so competitive. The, The competition is going to be competing for, you know, very, very, very marginal improvements against one right. each other, against one another and you think that may cause centralization in the way you just described?
1: Yeah, centralization not in the sense where the miners are going to be able to take over the network, just centralization in the sense that each miner has to have their own all-encompassing vertically integrated operation to absolutely squash those costs to as low, close to zero as possible because basically as soon as one of them does that, right, that's going to shift the balance of power tremendously. So that's going to cause everybody else to do it. Uh, and again, this is what we're talking about over time. I don't know how long it's going to take for that to happen. But I do think we're just going to see you know people flock to the parts, ends of the world where we have this, the lowest demand for energy and the cheapest energy resources and maybe even some innovation. Maybe we'll see uh, fusion. Who knows? Right.
0: Right. You got to think that in a hyper-Bitcoinization scenario, that there's just going to be such a tremendous competition for energy that... I'm looking forward to the innovation of capturing waste energy and not Mm -hmm. just in the way, you know, um, upstream is doing it with with uh, flaring on in uh, oil and gas sites and stuff like that, which is awesome. Um, But even, you know, I was I think it was yesterday I was cooking something in the oven. Right. And I took it out and put it on the counter. And obviously, there's a lot of heat in the oven after you right. know you're done, you're done cooking. And I just thought, like, maybe <laughs> far off into the yeah, you know, like maybe <laughs> there's an apparatus that is somehow aggregating waste heat energy in in our homes. And right. because the value of Bitcoin is so much, and that energy is effectively free, will the like, will there be There, there must be innovative ways, or there's going to be to you know the hunt for energy basically the yeah. hunt for free or waste energy i think is going to be tremendous and i think that benefits pretty much all all parties that could concerned. be that
1: could be very interesting yeah and that could maybe lead to even the opposite scenario of what i described and this like extreme decentralization right. right where maybe we have like bitcoin miners in light bulbs you screw in a light bulb every home's got one and like it just does it just does things with all the little <laughs> waste that you have in the house right uh that could happen for sure i mean it could be interesting uh, and I think it's cool to see some of the uh, mining improvements we have on the horizon, like better hash, where we're going to let miners have more control over what they're mining and that reduces their reliance on mining pools and stuff like that. So we could see um, we could potentially see that happen. I'm not sure. But I, I mean, my gut says that the, the vertical integration happens first, or at least just because that seems to be the easiest path with the technology we have today. But it's also really hard to see where exponential trends lead, especially if the price goes you know, uh, sky high, then that definitely shift the balance. All, bet,
0: all bets are off, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that, again, I heard somewhere is, you know, proof of work and the, the mining process, process in Bitcoin, there's really a lot of interesting things are being written about it and just providing so much fodder for your mind to just go in a bunch of different directions about the, the impact or the significance of this innovation, even beyond the role it plays in, you know, the current Bitcoin ecosystem. And I think, uh, I think this is from the book where you said, uh, here's where the real world starts to touch our digital world. And I think mm-hmm. that you were, you were referencing POW in, in, in some capacity. Can you, you know, elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, I think uh, what's interesting about Bitcoin and, and proof of work in general is that uh, it allows us to capture real world resource usage in a digital system, right? In a way that's basically not possible to cheat. Uh, And so we're burning uh, electricity, right? When we burn that electricity, we're playing a lottery. And then we present the results of this lottery uh, to everybody else on the system. So what we're showing them is that we've burned a certain amount of electricity, or or rather what we're showing them is that we've we've done a certain number of computations um, uh, to achieve a statistically improbable result, right? So so what Bitcoin mining is, it's like you're throwing this random die and you're trying to get a, a random number out of it. Um, and that number, every time you throw that die, you burn a little bit of energy. And uh, the the target you're trying to hit is this, like, really, you have this really giant number line, like right? the number of possibilities possible from this mining process is, like, from zero to almost the number of, or about the number of atoms in the universe. And you're trying to show people that you've hit this really, really uh, small window, this statistically improbable window. Um, and the way that uh, you do that is by showing them a number. And you say, look, this is the number I generated. And in order to generate a number that's so statistically improbable, I must have burned this amount of energy, and that allows us to take real-world resources and represent them in a digital format. And say, look, this is what I did. You can trust that I did this work because this result would just be statistically infeasible to achieve without having done all that amount of work. It's amazing. Yeah, it's cra- it's it's really kind of crazy. I mean, it's uh, <laughs> it's it's it really unlocks this idea that we can have digital scarcity because um, prior to Bitcoin, I mean, if you had a Music file or a a photo or a video or something digital you could just send it to as many people as you want But with Bitcoin the thing that you're sending is really scarce It's truly scarce because real-world Resources had to have been burned to produce it so you you can't just produce an infinite amount of it Um, And the other thing that keeps that in check is that the rules of Bitcoin themselves So as soon as you're producing some bitcoins uh, You're showing people this magical number you generated, but everybody else gets to validate whether the rules of the system have been followed or not. Uh, and those rules include things like there's only supposed to be 21 million of them. And when we issue bitcoins, it has to be on a specific schedule. So like right now, each, each block you mine, which means every time you win the lottery, you get to give yourself 12 and a half bitcoins. If you give yourself more, that will be rejected by everybody. So you can't cheat the system in that way. Um, we're enforcing that you have to have burned a certain amount of, or had done a certain amount of work, um, which equates to some approximate amount of energy. And then that, cost has produced you this uh certain amount of bitcoin
0: yeah you know there's so many philosophical implications of of uh bitcoin and its various attributes and and what they ultimately mean but you know when you were just saying that it made me think of you know and correct me if i'm wrong because i'm still i'm i'm still grappling with this and i get caught up in in or caught down in different rabbit holes as a result Mm -hmm. but if it is true that you know, Bitcoin has introduced digital scarcity for the first time, and I think most of us through the process that you just described would, would say that that is the case, it's also in doing so, and in the way that its monetary schedule um, was set out, has introduced the idea of infinite scarcity to the human mind, possibly for the first time, with the exception maybe of time. Have you given much mm-hmm. thought to, to that?
1: Yeah, I think, and I think it was uh, Mesir Mahmoudov who, who uh, came out with this really awesome um, article about how Bitcoin and time are the only scarce things, and so why would you trace your, trade your scarce time for a non-scarce resource like fiat money, right? right. Because one is being constantly inflated, this, the supply of it's being inflated, each unit's become uh, less and less um, valuable, whereas with time, it's it's finite, right? The amount of time we have on this earth is finite. And I agree. we. As humans, we have a hard time understanding finite resources, even time, right? Um, I was actually just watching this TED Talk about procrastination because I'm a terrible procrastinator uh, (laughs) and (laughs) I'm preparing for a talk I have to do at a conference in two weeks and I have barely even started. So it's like that um, we don't value our time as much as we should. A lot of us uh, people with procrastination problems will, will just waste it, right? Um, and the same thing with our money. When we have fiat money, we a lot of times we'll waste it on on various junk. Like we see something shiny and we buy it. Especially us who are, who are you know in first world countries and and of means or whatever. But um, Bitcoin introduces a different kind of scarcity to us, and it does start to shift that um, perception of of what is valuable. And like there's only this amount of time. There's only this amount of Bitcoin. You have to be really wise with how you spend both of those things. Uh, because once they're gone, they're gone. It's very hard to get more, um, and it's going to become more harder and harder, right? As as the as the new bitcoins are are reducing in in um, flow over time. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, the scarcity of time is not really in your face, right? It's kind of abstract. I mean, mm-hmm. and even even something <laughs> as simple as you know doing things that are you know, we kind of all act as though we're going to live forever, even though we all know 100% that we won't, right? Like, whether right. it's being reckless with certain activities when you were younger or unhealthy diets or smoking or whatever, we kind of just, we don't believe it's going to affect our amount of time that we have until it does, and then we mm-hmm. think, oh shit, and then it's over. Yeah. And Bitcoin, for the first time, perhaps, is externalizing our, is externalizing Externalizing infinite scarcity in a manner that we can actually behold—it's actually something that we can have. You know, yeah. it's an—it's it's an. It's an asset. I think
1: you know, when you see those curves, you know, uh, I think it's been famously said that humans just are horrible at understanding exponential curves. We don't see exponential effects until they like start to happen like that. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. It's the same thing with time. I, I feel like as I'm getting older, I, you know, it used to be where I remembered what I did from day to day, and now it's like week to week, turning into month to month. And it's like months are flying by so fast. Like, you know, I have kids now. Once you have kids, you just now it's time is measured in years. It's like, OK, how did that happen? How did my kid just turn five all of a sudden? Yeah. So you just have uh, this compression where the time um, usage is feels like it's becoming exponential. Right. Because you're just compressing all this experience. And it's, it's the same with Bitcoin where um, everybody's like slowly piling into it, slowly understanding it or whatever. And all of a sudden you wake up one day and it's just like exponentially has become a world money. Um, and that moment will not be obvious until it's in retrospect. It will not be obvious that it's happening tomorrow. Um, it's just going to start happening. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it definitely forces you to think. And, and for me, um, I started thinking a lot more in longer time scales. Uh, and I think about like, well, what what does the world look like in 25 years, 50 years, a hundred years? Um, uh, what does the world of my children look like? Uh, I think some of that is, it's really, really hard for the human mind to wrap, to wrap itself around such concepts and to think on on those kinds of timescales, and that's also why we see so much criticism of Bitcoin. It's like, well, it's a you know, it's it's not fast enough. There's not enough merchants adopting it. Um, the Lightning Network is growing like too slowly, um, and all this criticism is basically people's inability to understand exponential curves because these all these curves are exponential, and you're just seeing the beginning of them.
0: Yeah, yeah, and do you like do you ever give any thought into how what w- the societal impact will look like on, on something like this emerging in the consciousness of, of the world slowly? And yeah, definitely. Crazy.
1: Like my my a lot of my angle on Bitcoin is because of um, I came from the former Soviet Union where we really did have problems with uh, economic censorship and you know uh, economic uh, control by the government of of the entire system um, and one of the things that was interesting to me as I got into Bitcoin I started asking questions that I had never asked before. Uh, I asked my parents what happened to our money when we left the Soviet Union and it turned out that the government allowed us to exchange $100 worth of Soviet rubles for for dollars when we left at the government's official exchange rate, quote unquote, which is of course not the real street exchange rate, right? So essentially what we got was a very small amount of money. The rest of our money was worth nothing because the, the street exchange rate for rubles was um, was really really bad nobody nobody wanted them just like the, with the boulevards, nobody wants the boulevards anymore so uh i think about what would have happened if bitcoin had been around right um and what if we were just to save one percent of our wealth and that but people in the soviet union didn't have a lot of savings in general but what if we could put away one percent of whatever we earned into bitcoin and then one day you know the soviet revolution happens and like The government takes full economic control of the system and like the money devalues like crazy. Well, we have this little stash, right? And we can walk out with a stash. Now, there are challenges of getting out of a system like that, even just like physically leaving the country. But money goes a long way in those situations. You know, it greases certain wheels um, and allows you to escape with something intact. So if Bitcoin had been around, maybe the very existence of Bitcoin would be enough to prevent the government from even attempting to seize such uh, power. Because you know, nobody would would be, everybody would have this escape hatch, right? And they would have this actual money that people valued. So I see it, uh, I see that happening today. I see Bitcoin being that new escape hatch. And what I think is going to happen is that not people who are afflicted today, it's not going to be the Venezuelans of today that are going to be able to really escape with Bitcoin, although a few of them have, but it's it's very few and far between. Um, It's going to be their children, right? It's going to be the children of all those neighboring countries that are now, buying Bitcoin that is going to be the Colombians and, and all that Argentinians who are looking at what's happening in Venezuela and like starting to develop a little bit of a side savings spot. Once you have that side savings spot, you now have an exit option. And when you have an exit option, you're also putting a check on the government from doing bad things because ultimately the government can't survive without people uh, funding it. So um, that funding option starts to go away as more and more people enter into the Bitcoin uh, side stash. And as soon, that side stash becomes the main stash. And when it becomes the main stash, then we have a real, real uh, good check on government spending and government ability to do just preposterous things like they've done in the former Soviet Union or Venezuela.
0: Yeah. You know, I often think about the young people that are kind of becoming socially conscious today. I don't mean, like, about the environment. I just mean their their kind of brains are activating in the world, whether it's five years old, ten years old. Whenever that happens, they start looking outward. And comparing it to all previous generations, including my own, and just thinking how exciting it will be for them that when they look out on the world, if they're curious enough to try to educate themselves about how it all works, more or less, um, that this thing will be there for them, you know, and I, right. I, pro- I probably talk about this too much, but when I came, when that process happened to me, incredibly curious read everything I could get my hands on was an Amazon customer from like 2002 and I just you know orders and orders of books about everything you know mm-hmm. and uh as a result of that as much as you you know you feel confidence uh from you know having a certain degree of knowledge and information I guess you know I was I was I was disheartened because I I realized that the world was you know was a lot less rosy than i had thought it was as as a kid and that there was some pretty gargantuan dark forces that were conspiring against freedom liberty mm-hmm. you know blah 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 that that shtick um but and i think you know because a lot of those still exist i think you know young people today will, will kind of still confront that but as they 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 do that education process now it's inevitable that, that they'll come across bitcoin and i just see bitcoin as representing such an opportunity to counterbalance all of those things and potentially mm-hmm. potentially even you know over you know supplant them and that i just i feel like the energy and excitement and enthusiasm released from that dynamic mm-hmm. will be awesome
1: yeah and i think even just the very existence of bitcoin is an interesting thing because it, it creates questions in people's heads. It, it makes them ask questions about money why is you know one type of money better than another type of money these are questions that we didn't ask before uh, at least you know most people outside of maybe like a small percentage of gold bugs who are like you know this fiat money isn't real money but but the thing is that most people don't ask those questions most people really just go throughout their lives and they use their money uh, regardless of whether they live in america and their money generally works or in venezuela where their money generally doesn't work it's still their money like they don't have another option right um and so once you create this other option then the questions start to fly. And we've seen this with, um, you know, when Libra came out and and they called in the Libra people into Congress, like, Congress is asking questions about the nature of money. That means the American people, hopefully, are just like a, a tiny bit more educated and start to ask those same questions as well. And that leads to a lot of interesting discussion because it's like, well, what kind of money do we want? Is it government controlled? Is it like a multinational corporation thing? Or is it money that's truly free of any control by any single entity and I think if you put it in that frame you start to like like why would you want any of the first two options why wouldn't you want money that is yours and yours alone why would you want the government to, to have their hands on it or or even worse like Facebook right uh, I, I don't know which one of those is worse but both of those are pretty bad yeah like you don't want you don't want this kind of like shadow entity um, controlling what you can or cannot spend money on um, and so I think when people grow up with that, uh, they're gonna there's gonna be a revolution right and it's just so we're seeing with drugs too like we look at cannabis being legalized You know half the states are, are legalized and if you look back 50 years You would have not thought that would be possible because the culture wasn't there but now it's like it seems absurd that we're not gonna get to 100% legalization within our lifetimes and so That's the culture shift. That's the shift of people recognizing that freedom of Choice is important to them. They, they should be free to do whatever they want with their money uh, with their body, whatever, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely, and it goes back to that, you know, first slowly, you know, uh, yeah. first yeah, slowly, sir. then all all at once, right? Yeah. Because, as you just said, you know, this this Libra thing, which you know, no Bitcoiner takes as a threat or thinks anything of it. It's just, you know, it's just another kind of uh, abomination that's <laughs> emerged, and it may have its a, a short day in the sun, or or maybe an on ramp, or it may actually be a good part of the ecosystem who knows but at least right now it's actually bringing these concepts and more importantly these questions into the public sphere mm-hmm. the public lexicon so like and and the, the 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 political apparatus that's you know asking all these questions and trying to keep it in check are having to show their hand they're having to admit that control of currency is both a geopolitical and a domestic and a mm-hmm. all sorts of a means of a lever of power and yeah they, I love they, that they, I mean, they, they didn't have that, to admit that before
1: that thing that Sherman uh, yeah said it was like this threatens our you know like ability to control like you know control the prices of oil and, and US dollars and all that kind of stuff. It was like, and then he tried to say that we want, we need to ban ownership of Bitcoin. Of course he stumbled. He meant to, He was like, I mean, ownership, I mean, uh, you know, purchasing of, of Bitcoin, like that kind of stuff. It starts to show the cracks in the system. It starts to show people that, um, if they're paying attention, that, that the system that we found ourselves in is not a, a one of Liberty, right? America is supposed to be a, the land of Liberty. And we've, lost a lot of the Liberty, especially in the last 20 years, like nine 11 and everything we've given up a lot of stuff and we've given up a lot of it voluntarily. Um, and a lot of, a lot of what we give up, like as we move to digital payments, right. Which is happening, right? Like how many people carry coins or paper uh, money anymore is practically being eradicated. And so we're going to move to these systems voluntarily, even if Facebook launches or doesn't launch, I don't know, but there's plenty of digital payment systems already that, that people start to use. Uh, Apple pay comes to mind or Google pay or something like that. Um, Once we move to that world where like, you know, 95% of payments are digital, we're just giving up a lot of our freedom Um, and we're doing it because it's convenience. We're not being forced into it by anybody. Um, But that gives the government a real good lever in the name of safety and privacy, you know, and protecting us from terrorism and whatever. They have now a really nice lever to have really exert over undue control over what we can or cannot do with our money. Um, and that's not a place we want to be in. We already see examples of that in places like China. It's not a good place to be. And and if we want to maintain our liberty, it's vital that we maintain uh, freedom of money because that's, in my opinion, more important than freedom of speech because it's that is the thing that buys you the speech, right? Like, in my mind, like, I never... I, I, I always vote with my dollars, right? If I want a particular... Like, I want to um, have more organic food, I go and buy organic food. I don't, like, lobby my congressman for more, you know, like to to like fund organic, I don't know ventures or something like that like that's silly. I'm just gonna go and buy it. I'm gonna encourage, uh, you know, my local farm. I'm gonna buy stuff from my local farm and encourage them to expand, right? And if I don't have that freedom of money, then what do I have? I have no I have no influence on the life around me.
0: Absolutely, and additionally to that, this is something that I always, you know, I get stuck in the weeds with with uh, with people when I have this conversation. Is we're we're in a, in society so much today. We've become so used to the government controlling so many aspects of our lives that we outsource so many of our responsibilities to them. So let's let's take this example. Most people today uh, would say, at, even if they don't uh, subscribe to the, the climate change narrative hook, line, and sinker, most people would say, yeah, probably best to protect this world, right? Let's stop cutting down the Amazon as much, less plastic in the oceans, blah, blah, blah. Most people would get on board mm-hmm. with that and their res- their their way of bringing that about is lobbying their government saying you need to sign this protocol you need to put in place uh, carbon taxes you need to do this and that rather than them changing the behavior that contributes to that because if they mm-hmm. still demand the services that that you know cause that environmental damage while simultaneously lobbying their government to enact things that that will you know limit that stuff then they're literally asking to be prevented from behavior that they willfully <laughs> and fair. want to, to to act in so i agree with you that you know the only voting really is with dollars that you know money yeah. talks and bullshit <laughs> walks right and exactly. <laughs> and and i think that's that's the only way to do it and so what whatever your cause is you've got to put your skin in the game and you've got to realize that on mass, if people make the change, then you'll you know you'll see the the, the change you want. But if yeah. if not, you're just asking other people to basically oppress you to get some sort of <laughs> ideological end that's in your mind.
1: Yeah, freedom of money is, is super important, and I think it's something we we should fight for actively. And that's you know that's why Bitcoin. It's it's really <laughs> that's that's the thing that drives me at the end of the day. Because when I uh, I, I started working on Bitcoin, I decided like you know what is the most important thing I could be working on, right? I have a lot of technology experience. I could work on any kind of technology thing, you know, but, but Bitcoin is that thing. Bitcoin is the thing that's gonna have the biggest impact on the world. Um, if we can make it succeed, it's, it's going to change a lot of lives. It's going to make the world a better place, in my opinion. Um, and nothing's perfect, right? I mean, uh, Bitcoin is not a perfect solution to all of the world's problems, but it's in the right direction. Um, and, and the direction is, is freedom, right? Like if people are free to do what they want to do, then that leads to generally, you know, better outcomes. Um, so that's, that's what we want to have, right? We don't want to have money where we have to ask for permission. Um, and, and we want to create black markets because that's ultimately every time that people, uh, try to put bans on stuff, they just create black markets and those black markets are ultimately worse, right? There's, there's violence and there's. Shady stuff going on and that's what happened with drugs like uh, what do they do with the war on drugs? They just created all this violence now We have all this migration because of that violence that we created because of the fucking war on drugs, right? And it's like why
0: and put in people in jail and spent a bunch of money in
1: jail Yeah, it wasted tons of taxpayer money. So like that stuff is uh, to me if we have the freedom money that um, It gives us that real uh, Optionality, you know, if we don't like this country We don't agree with what what they're doing then we walk Um, and being a Russian and a Jew uh, you know I've my my history like my people have walked many times um, and and I I have personally walked in 1989 right like you have to have the optionality of walking if you don't have that um, you don't have freedom and that's what Bitcoin is
0: couldn't agree more and I and this is coming up a lot lately too but Bitcoin is kind of the focal point of that that sovereign individual movement and you know part of being sovereign is ultimately not being dependent right you have to you, and and obviously financially is one of the primary methods of doing that but as you just said if the environment and the landscape politically that you're in becomes such that you know for whatever reason you don't think it's serving you or it's causing concern then you have to have the ability to walk you know yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and like you said otherwise uh you're it's some some form of uh, oppression or servitude unfortunately as as uncomfortable as that sounds <laughs> indeed indeed and and also i i echo your sentiment where you say like you just you were deciding what you wanted to be involved in and you were like i there's nothing seems more meaningful than this right. and and i i'm i'm in the same boat and i think a lot of people are now and everyone's just trying to kind of determine like okay, nothing seems more meaningful than this. I spend all my time thinking about it. I want to contribute to this because I want, you know, because I know, I, I know what it means, Right. Uh, but how, right? What's, what, how can I use my unique talents or what I bring to the table and contribute it in, in that capacity? Yeah, that's, so that's great.
1: Because I was like, when I originally um, left my uh, job, I was the CTO at Reverb, which was a very fast-growing uh, music company. It just got acquired by Etsy, actually. Um, so super proud of my team there. But, you know, it was a it was an amazing place. Um, you know, I helped start it and I, I was there from the beginning and um, I, I watched it grow from, you know, zero people or two people to like 150 people. It was crazy. Um, but I, at the end of the day, I said, OK, well, I'm, I need to go and um, do Bitcoin full time because it's just eating my brain like from the inside out. I just can't focus on on uh, work anymore because I'm just thinking about Bitcoin all the time. Um, but the thing that I thought, because my background was in technology, I actually originally thought I was just going to go and like figure out, you know, I'm going to work on Bitcoin core, or maybe I'll work on lightning network and, and work on the technical stuff. And, um, I've done some peripheral side projects and things, but I actually found that, uh, like when looking at the space, there's plenty of developers and they're all really, really smart. A lot of them, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting old in developer years at this point where I feel like I can't compete with some of these young people. Um, but, uh, I really just thought we need more education, you know, there's, there's good education out there, but the best thing we can be doing, um, in terms of Bitcoin adoption is, is helping people understand what it was. And that's kind of why I got into the book. It was almost accidentally because I didn't think that wasn't my thought when I started working on Bitcoin. Um, and I think for a lot of people, it's like that, where they just start out. Like, I just, I'm really interested in Bitcoin. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then they start a podcast or they start a website or they write a book or they start writing articles or they're on Twitter, but a lot of that's just education, right? At the end of the day, we're just trying to help the masses understand this new phenomenon um, and hopefully see it uh, from some of the same angles that we see it. And, and there are so many angles that I think every individual's uh, contribution in this space is is really, really valuable because, um, I mean, every day I open up uh, Twitter and, and read some kind of like new article that somebody wrote that is just brilliant and it's just a totally new way of looking at Bitcoin, whether it's as a biological organism or... You know, as a as a self evolving like AI system that's enslaving humanity or something. I mean, there's so many different, there's so many ways to look at it. Uh, but yeah, I think that everybody can con- contribute on that front, and there's no shortage of uh, of angles to it.
0: I I totally agree. So my recommendation to people listening, you know, would be, don't wait to see it. You know, like if you have that conviction and you and you feel like you want to dive in, dive in, and the, the, the road will probably appear. You know yeah. what I mean, like and and like you just said, all these great articles i'm I'm speaking with Brandon Quidam who who did the oh, article yeah. about you know uh, relating Bitcoin and yeah, to the mycelium Bycelium. yeah yeah yeah, I um, love that one. yeah, phenomenal, and that's the kind of stuff like you 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 know an article like that pops up, and you may not have been looking at it in that way, but it really, really fits, and then that opens up a whole nother kind of bubble of of <laughs> thoughts and and possibilities and stuff like that. so it's really. What we're doing collectively is just extracting possibilities and narratives from this thing based on what it is at, at core. And some of them will fizzle out and others will become massive, you know, probably industries ultimately. So,
1: yeah, I think it's interesting because uh, what we're doing is we're developing these narratives that are almost like a religion, right, where we're creating all these different tentacles of thought around this concept to organize this huge number of people around this one like like really massive global change, right? Because if you think about the kinds of global changes that have happened, usually they've been by a uh, force of religions, right? Like some something like Catholicism that can spread all over the world and like create this massive change, right? Um, and usually it's done by by like people with insane convictions and a lot of violence. And I think we're trying to have this really non-violence revolution, um, but we still need that cohesive narrative to tie everybody together and, and put everybody on the same page. Except for the interesting thing is unlike religions, which have tended to be very top down. You have like the clerics that come up with a narrative and then that narrative spreads to the people, right? Like here we just see like everybody's a cleric, right? Like anybody can come up with this new narrative and it starts this little wildfire and it creates this narrative and it spins out of control and everybody gets on board with it and everybody like builds out stuff in that area. So we're seeing Bitcoin spread in my opinion very much like a religion where people are starting to get various pockets of and like sects of you know, bitcoinism whether you're an economic bitcoiner or a technical bitcoiner or somebody who's just like you know um just thinks that it's like going to change the world entirely um we don't know what the real reality will be but these narratives help us drive forward right they, they create cohesion and they bring people together which is really cool Exactly. And, you know, like the fiat community doesn't have that. The U.S. dollar community <laughs> does not have somebody spending no. U.S. dollar. Well, actually, they do have somebody spending U.S. dollar narratives. That's that's called the mainstream media, I guess.
0: Yeah. But uh, but they but. don't have the zealots. They don't they have don't the have zealots, zealots like we do. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, well, that being said, man, like, what uh, what is your next uh, your next trick? You know, so you got the book. It's about a year old. What what's the most exciting thing that you're working on?
1: Well yeah so uh, first of all I'm doing translations which is uh you know a lot of work I, I have a lot of people approaching me so uh <laughs> I have like I just got a spanish translation out I have a french one in the works I have a russian one in the works um maybe turkish uh there's like a whole bunch of people are just approaching me with random languages that I'm like this is this is amazing you want to do it great um so I'm managing some of that uh but really I want to do more educational stuff so um, one of my next Things is to build a site called Bitcoin Answers. I have the domain uh, bitcoinanswers.org. I'm super behind and actually doing something with it, but I'd like it to be a really, really short-form Q and A type of thing, where um, you know, there's a lot of good Bitcoin out uh, content out there. But I see people, you know, when people are like, "How do I get started with Bitcoin?" Everybody passes around like uh, Jameson Lops page, which is a good page, but it's just so much content. So it's dense. Just, it's not for beginners. So. Uh, and he's restructured recently. To be fair, to be like a little bit better. But I want to be super concise, super opinionated. Here's how you do things. Um, so I want to get that out because I do think there's a lot of confusion um, in the air, and th- there needs to be both an easy like getting started guide as well as like a sort of the spell common fud narratives, like you know, Bitcoin's going to eat all the energy in the world, or um, it's for criminals, or whatever the, the flavor of the day is. Um, so I want to have sort of that. Um, and you know, maybe, maybe I'll work on some apps that are peripheral to, uh, Bitcoin purchasing, but I think more and more the education stuff's kind of sucking me in. So I have to follow that path to wherever it leads.
0: Well, man, double down, you know, you were saying yeah. you got a, you got a speaking engagement coming up soon. Yeah. I, I really think, you know, Andreas, we all know and, and, uh, have consumed probably all of his stuff And he, in the early <laughs> yes. days, you know, he captivated us all and he's, Phenomenal orator knows it, you know, knows Bitcoin inside and out. Um, but he's just one guy, you know. And like yeah. you said, that you know, communication happens on in so many different ways on so many different levels, connecting with people of different perspectives. You know, it, it's 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 such a varied thing. And I, mm-hmm. what I like about it, uh, what I'd like to see is more people that have that inclination that want to speak, talk, educate to get out there and and do talks, you know, and do it to a live audience of 100 500 people whatever it is and of course record it and put it online and that mm-hmm. whole that whole thing. But like I really want people or I think it would be helpful if people saw the emotion and the conviction, not just the yeah. this is what bitcoin is and this is how <laughs> to start a wallet and this, you know, yeah, which is fair. great and necessary yeah. and everything, <laughs> but like all of us. I mean, I'm talking to more and more people now and I I couldn't like I couldn't love it more. But everyone is just, once you kind of allow, like, allow them to open up and express some of that excitement and enthusiasm and conviction and emotion about it, everyone's like, fuck, this is the most exciting thing ever. (laughs) Like, you know, (laughs) I really want to, you know, all that kind of stuff that that we always talk about. And I would love for a mainstream audience of people that think they're thinking they're coming to a talk about some new technology, money stuff, to see that visceral, like expression from people i think that would be a a real massive boon to getting people to think about this stuff more and then go down the various rabbit holes and resources of of how to interact with this stuff so you know i i want to see more of that yeah if you're going to be doing that then then great yeah (laughs)
1: that's my plan man that's my plan for sure i think that's yeah people need to see that they're this is a movement and not just uh technology like you said this is not just a bunch of nerds like doing DeFi or something. This is like right. a, a world-changing thing. Uh, we are changing the world here, and and it's not uh, it's not going to be simple, and it's going to be like a fight. It's going to be a revolution, and we're going to try to make it as peaceful as possible. Kind of as Nick Carter uh, wrote this peaceful revolution article recently, which is amazing. But yeah. it is it is a revolution, and we have to recognize that aspect of it, um, and that's what part of, part of the excitement for me too. Um, it's like, I, I just sent some of my books down to like Venezuela through some like back channels. Like they're going to be going to <laughs> Colombia. Like they're going to get them into Venezuela. I don't know what's happening down there, you know, but like, you know, that's, that's like a hotbed of that revolution. Right. But that revolution is happening everywhere in the world, just in different degrees. So, um, we need to get stuff. We need to get information to people. Um, we need to get people excited and get uh, in the
0: hearts and minds, you know, like any good revolution, yeah. right? Yes, yeah, sir. Jan, how are you on time? Uh, I'm good. Uh,
1: Can we do a a quick pause, a quick break? Yep, yep. Okay, cool. Uh, Just give me like a few
0: minutes. Sure. So I'll call you back, yeah? All right, sounds good, yeah. Okay. We back? (laughs) Yep. I have no idea where we were, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) moving on. I think we were talking about Bitcoin. Um so Something yeah like you you', you kind of I asked you what was next, and you said, um you know doing translations and uh yeah. speaking stuff and more more in the education space
1: yeah, I think so, and and like I said, maybe working on some apps um but uh you know as time permits, it's tough with all this education stuff that's that's going on
0: right you know one of the things um I came across uh in preparation for this uh, chat was you we're kind of tempering overly optimistic attitudes on the time frame for adoption. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want and and so this is usually a question I ask or we'll touch on it in the rapid fire portion. But do you want to just kind of elaborate on you know because all of us you know hyper bulls we we see this <laughs> happening at the turn of the next you know bull run or something like that. Right. But Why don't you give me your two cents on on yeah, adoption?
1: Yeah, my. My feeling is um, when we talk about adoption, we have to like look at the population that we're targeting right um, For example, my parents you know people in their 60s um, probably not gonna by and large adopt Bitcoin It's just way too foreign for them right um, So we're excluding large portions of the population with Bitcoin in its current form. Um, I think there's there are problems there that require people to be comfortable with the with what it is and like we talked about, um kids that are born with bitcoin today they're not going to have to read books about it um that's just going to be their money so those are not the people that we're targeting with this quote unquote hyper bitcoinization if people are saying that you know within the next four years we're going to hit a million dollars and um you know uh, bitcoin will obliterate all value in the world and like you know replace all money well how does it how does that actually physically happen it doesn't happen unless everybody has some bitcoin in their hands otherwise it's not actually a good um worldwide uh, money now there are ways that Bitcoin could get adopted I think in small ways like it, it, it could be that only one percent of the world like maybe just the wealthiest and most educated people of the world um, get their hands on some Bitcoin and that in and of itself you know drives the price really really high um, but is that really adoption I, I would argue no I would I would say that we haven't really achieved our 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 goal there um, so I think, In order for adoption to happen, there needs to be a culture shift around what money is and a comfort with with this new technology and an improvement in the technology itself to the point where it becomes a bit more um, invisible, you know? And we're seeing a lot of this happen rapidly. We're seeing new types of apps come out for key management that make a lot of that, like, really abstract and transparent. Um, We're seeing improvements in, you know, Lightning Network, which just really was born very recently. So... My question is, if we talk about hyper-bitcoinization within four years, how does that all happen without the Lightning Network being where it needs to be, without the user experience being where it needs to be, and without people being comfortable with the money on, on a visceral level, which is a cultural thing? So for me, um, I really do think it's a generational shift. I think it's going to be the kids that are growing up today, maybe people born within the last five years. I'm not sure where, where we want to delineate the start of the Bitcoin generation, but people who are born with bitcoin as normal and it, honestly it may not even be the people like my my daughter is five years old but she still knows money she knows money in three forms now she knows paper money she knows credit cards and she knows apple uh, watch and she intuitively understands that all of this is money she's like well we have to pay for it mom does this with her watch and then magic happens right um she has three forms of money that she's familiar with coins she's less familiar with like she's seen a few coins but we almost never use them So coins, I think within her lifetime go away for sure because of inflation and they become less relevant. Paper money probably goes away during the next generation, right? It's still still in wide circulation, but as we adopt digital forms of of payment, that starts to go away more and more and more. So for me, that has to all happen simultaneously as Bitcoin improves along the vectors of usability, scalability, which is to say, you know, lightning network and things like that. Um, Those, and then culturally, right? So for me, that is, I believe a 25 year horizon. Um, so that's how I think about it. Um, now that, that's not talking about price though, right? So the price could go to the moon and back in that time, I don't know. Um, but it, like I said, it could do that just because you know one to five percent of the world of the wealthiest people in the world, uh, everybody puts you know 10 grand into it and that could like skyrocket the price, but it wouldn't be I would say it wouldn't be meaningful adoption. Um, so that's that's why I think about it that way.
0: And the other thing is probably that this thing will be in flux forever, right? You know, even with the Internet, yes, we can say objectively that there's widespread adoption now, but it's not like we put the stake in the sand and say, we made it, you know, we're we're here. (laughs) It's like we're always trying to push the bounds of the innovation. You know, now in 10 years from now, we may look back at the Internet And the internet of things may be far more developed and our toaster will be online and our, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we'll say, wow, you guys lived in a world where only your computer and your phones were online. (laughs) That's that's crazy, you know?
1: Right. It's funny. I just looked that up since you said about the internet. But um, right now in the US, it's 90% of US adults that are on the internet. So even in 2019, it's still not 100%. Um, But 90 is pretty damn high, right? If we get to 90% Bitcoin adoption, I would argue like we're done. We're like, we've adapted, right? Um, (laughs) We. I mean, I don't know what the number is, but
0: you know what's funny about this kind of stuff is like all of us bulls may hope there's some day where like the mainstream or the the uh, the uh, incumbent you know system you know capitulates like all right you win it's sure. but like that's never that's never it's never no, things don't ever happen that way right I mean just look yeah. this isn't a perfect comparison but look at how it's insane that we have you know, the, almost the entirety of the world's knowledge and connectivity in our pocket on a day-to-day basis now, right? Like 10, even just 10 years ago, that would be a a superpower, let alone 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, whatever. I mean, to have, you don't need to remember things anymore. I mean, that's, that's, that's where we're at. (laughs) And it's just kind of like, yeah, cool. Some, 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 like that's there. And most people don't take advantage of it. You know, the, in the Uh, In as many ways as they could and I you know, I'm sure it'll be the same with Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know But again,
1: I think it's um, And with technology the same thing like the technology really shifts with cultural shifts, right? Like Facebook was born because of Mark Zuckerberg a kid not because some 6 year old person came up with Facebook Right like all you know, all these apps that are that are being popular that are popular with kids are built by kids By and large it's the kids of the next generation that figure out the new the new culture that works for their generation. They build the apps of that generation, right? So some of it is just stuff that won't happen until there's been enough people living with Bitcoin as normal that then come up with the next phase of what Bitcoin adoption looks like. And that's why I don't think it happens that quickly because it's just that our generation is not going to be the one that figures out all of those things. We're going to figure out a lot of it. We're going to build out of the infrastructure, just like the people who are you know 60 years old now were a lot of the people who built out early Internet infrastructure and they built out you know the protocols that powered the Internet, but they you know, never imagine Snapchat, right? Like that's a, a weird foreign idea to somebody who's 60 years old. Nah. So <laughs> um, I think it requires really, it's a cultural, it's a culture shift that happens through uh, simply the passage of time and new people being born into new technology. Um, a lot of it could get accelerated. I mean, we have uh, AI and, and a lot of like interesting, you know, 3D printing. There's a lot of movements that could accelerate the adoption of bitcoin kind of synergize with it but i really think that the human mind is just capable of like so much change within a lifetime so if you're asking somebody who's already lived all their life with a certain type of money to just drop everything and put all their savings into this new thing that's unproven from their perspective it's not going to happen um so it just it's going to be a generational shift and it's going to take some time um and that's okay you know that's that's the low time preference, right? We're gonna sit, we're gonna hang out, and we're gonna wait for this to happen, and we're gonna push it along in the ways that we can.
0: Right. So I guess that answers my follow up, which was if you're right, and it takes, you know, you're on the more conservative timeline, uh, will you be happy building a career and, you know, founding, you know, the next twenty years of your work <laughs> in this in this space?
1: I mean, if I was if I was, you know, in the '60s and building TCP/IP. I would be like super proud of my work, right? Even though I hadn't built anything glamorous, I would say like, you know what? My work, it powers the internet. Like, and so I, that's how I feel about Bitcoin right now. I think, uh, I mean, I could be wrong of course, but if, if if I'm right about Bitcoin, if we're right about Bitcoin, then being here now and helping it spread is going to be like the early internet pioneers. So didn't build anything particularly gra- glamorous. I mean, multi-sig uh, encryption stuff isn't glamorous. Um, some of these early, uh, you know, Lightning Network things are super cumbersome. They're not glamorous, but uh, people get excited about some like ridiculous thing, like sending around one Satoshi all the way around the world with Lightning Network. I mean, will the people twenty years from now be excited about that? Like, no. But for us, it's it's a real game changer. Like, we did this, right? We built this really, really like rough prototype, but it works. And holy shit, it's actually working and it's actually like taking off, right? Yeah. Um, so I think when you look back on that and you say I was there in the beginning, I was there helping this thing uh, take shape. It's like really powerful. Even if you didn't build anything that later generations will consider uh, glamorous, they will just know it as as the base of everything, right? Like right. Th- that's just the basis of their <laughs> of their existence is like this new type of money, money system. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the other thing I wanted to say was um, I'm not a hyperbole in terms of Bitcoin taking over the entire world. I, my I set a low bar, and if it gets succeeded, then that's great. Um, my low bar is that Bitcoin helps some people in some countries create sort of like a you know a wealth uh, stash that's seizure resistant. If it does that, if it does that for five percent of humanity, that would be like huge in my opinion. That would be something that really improves the lives of a lot of people, uh, and maybe even as a side effect, kind of game theoretic side effect, puts a check on governments even trying to do silly things. Uh, and maybe it has a sort of echo effect in in the world, but, um, that's my bar. It's like, I want, I want 5% of the people in the world to be able to escape their shitty countries. Um, if we see that happening, then, um, I'll be happy. And if it goes beyond that uh, into something like hyper bitcoinization and, you know all fiat crumbles then great but I, I i don't know i don't see it happening just
0: <laughs> well i feel you man and, and i appreciate the pragmatic approach to managing your expectations yes. so you're not like let down too much like, but oh my god
1: what is hyper incompletionization coming it's not happening but i
0: am comp- i'm the opposite i'm like fuck that it's all or nothing here like i don't you know I, I, of course that's a noble goal and and you sh- you know everyone should be should benefit from this thing you know i want i want i want the full potential of this thing to be unleashed on the world and anything less to me is (laughs) i'm I'm not i'm not with it so that's what i'm striving for (laughs) that's good
1: i mean we need i think we need all of those perspectives because we need different like we need the zealots we need the people really like pushing hard right um i feel like my my job being that i came sort of from the mainstream like you know what, prior to Bitcoin, I wasn't like a hardcore libertarian. I wasn't into Austrian economics. Like I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, So for me, I'm like coming, you know, sort of almost as a normie into Bitcoin and saying like, how do we make this palatable to people? Because if I go around shouting rah 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 revolution like people are going to think I'm crazy, which to be fair, you know, people still think I'm crazy for doing the Bitcoin thing. And they're constantly like, are you still doing the Bitcoin thing? Like, didn't it go down by a lot? And I'm like, well, I mean, that depends on your perspective of, the, of when and, and how, but, uh, yeah, I'm doing the Bitcoin thing. Cause like, that's the thing that matters. So yeah, I'm doing it. <laughs> um, and so I think bringing sort of a, a tempered view, um, to people who are not in, not in the Bitcoin inner circle is useful because the Bitcoin inner circle can seem pretty, uh, intense to outsiders. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's important for us to do both things. So like, to like make, radicalize the core, but make the the uh, the candy-coated shell palatable, right?
0: Sure, sure. And we, you know, we we've said this a bunch already, but you know, there's all sorts of different people out there that respond to all sorts of different forms of communication and levels of excitement and expectations and ambitions and everything like that. So, you know, and the more people that are into this stuff, the more it can transmute whatever their feelings are about it into some form of communication or expression, and hopefully it finds a home with the right people, you know, so, yeah, definitely, and the different means of disseminating information that we have available today, you know, should, should make that highly, you know, if possible, if if not yeah. easy, but definitely possible, so I guess that's uh, the goal that we're, we're all striving for, uh, for sure. last question before we break into the rapid fire, but what, What about Bitcoin today is most exciting to you? Like what keeps you up at night or what, when you get lost in a, you know, a daydream, (laughs) are you kind of wrestling with, like, what about this space is the most compelling, interesting to you right now? Um, I think it's
1: interesting that it's entered into uh, like government consciousness, you know, as we've had the hearings with Libra and everything. I was, did not expect like the word Bitcoin to be mentioned in Congress within this you know, era of Bitcoin. right? I still kind of thought of it uh, coming in more in 2016 as like a geeky side project uh, prototype thing. And then all of a sudden it's only like two, three years later and it's on the floor of Congress being debated. I think it's super exciting um, from just the geopolitical standpoint of like Bitcoin has entered into conversations that are no longer, um, you know, it's a geek side project or it's money for criminals or um, it's, it's something that doesn't matter to something where it's like a really high level discussions about, um, what are we going to do about this thing? That's like definitely happening and that we can't really stop. <laughs> so I like that, um, from a technical side, I'm really, um, excited about what's happening with, uh, the improvements, to key management technology. Um, some of the stuff that like, uh, Unchained Capital and, and Casa have been working on with multi-sig. Uh, I, I really think that there's, um, we need to make the usability of Bitcoin better for normal everyday people. Um, as I onboard people, you know, if I give them uh, $10 worth of Bitcoin, then that's cool. But once they start getting into larger amounts, there's always questions about like, how do I deal with this? How do I manage this? Should I leave it on an exchange? Should I not leave it on an exchange? Should I get a hardware wallet? Um, there's still a lot of unanswered questions in the space. And I think making uh, that part of it easier is huge. So I'm really excited about the technology that's coming to make that easier for people just so they don't think about keys as much. Um, it just happens, you know, for them. and we make that just as as seamless as possible. And I'm sure some of the innovations there, we're not even really certain of what they're going to look like yet. It's just going to take some time to figure that out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm real excited for, I'm sure you're familiar with, with Lolly, right? And, and and other, I I mean, I think that one especially because like you said, I mean, if you're asking someone to make an investment, one, most people aren't investors and two, (laughs) you know, people don't know how to buy, how to store all this kind of stuff. And, services like that that have a really kind of cool accessible funky brand uh, that provide a service that just makes it when I spoke with Alex the the CEO it's like you have a value prop where you can basically say to your potential customers like you'd be an idiot not to use our service (laughs) we're giving away free bitcoin you know so it's like that's, that's pretty compelling
1: I think their take is really awesome because it, it does lower the bar for people to get into Bitcoin because they're just earning it for free rather than thinking about how to buy it and store it. If we see more stuff in that vein, that would be cool just to have people kind of developing Bitcoin earnings on the side. Um, that was actually one of the reasons uh, originally I got into Bitcoin. I heard this story uh, about some startup in Afghanistan where they were teaching women to code and then helping them earn Bitcoin um, by coding. And, you know, so that's a really cool use case because they had a, they had a real like oppressive economic. Uh, financial system where women couldn't even open bank accounts without male supervision. So that's really empowering. It's like you can let people earn Bitcoin, and it's again, it's that kind of thing where now with Lightning Network, perhaps people earn Bitcoin that's on Lightning Network right away, so they're already onboarded. Um, so maybe we'll see some of that happening, where it's just uh, we're getting more and more people on board without going through the real kind of headache process of buying and storing and all that. Um, eventually, they're going to have to figure out how to store. So I still think that there's a lot to be done on that front. But at least the buying part can potentially go away as we get more and more earners. Um, So that would be really exciting as well.
0: What's up, guys? That is the end of the further discussion portion of my interview with Jan Pritzker. If you like that and you want to hear more, the rapid fire episode is available now as well. So that's where I ask Jan the standard set of rapid fire questions and some word associations at the end. Anyways, thanks for listening. See you later.